Transformation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malkanji. properly cast out a demon. You know, I was just praying before coming on to this broadcast, and I just felt the Lord impress this on my spirit, and so I'm going to lead it up with this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship, listen to this, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want you to write this in the comment section, I am a soldier of Christ. I am a soldier of of Christ. You have to adopt this soldier mentality if you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare. There's too many people that are casualties because they simply don't know they're in a battle. And even if they knew they're in a battle, they're not constantly or intentionally walking in the awareness of that. And as such, they become casualties of war. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. So Paul's telling Timothy, you're engaged in warfare. You know, if you live in a war-torn country, whether you know it or not, whether you want it or not, you're in warfare. When Rwanda happened, those men, those women, those poor, helpless people, they without desiring it, we're engaged in warfare. When Adam sinned, the human race enlisted into warfare, whether you desire it or not. The Bible says we live in a world where there are principalities and there are powers and there are forces that are arraigned against you. The Bible says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I'm going to show you today that as a soldier, unlike when two armies go to war and there's a even match and there's a kind of a level battle that takes place in this warfare, I'm going to show you today how there's a fixed fight and a very uneven match to those that are on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says, you're not just a soldier, you're a soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. You're engaged in warfare. This life is not funfare. This life is warfare. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. As a soldier, if you are an ambassador of Christ, if you are born again, you are part of the Lord's army on the earth. You are his hands. You are his feet. If anything gets done, to occupy on this earth, God is going to do it through his church, through his body, which we are. So when I was praying before, I felt the Lord impress this into my spirit, that there are many Christians that are excited, many Christians that carry the fire of God. You know, there are many people that I know even, there's several people I can name, 
that I know them from when they were younger and as they age through life, they've always had this passion to be a soldier. They've always had this passion to enlist in the army or the Marines. They've always had these dreams of becoming Navy SEALs. However, just carrying the passion of one day enlisting in the army is not sufficient for you to be a successful soldier in any army. And the Lord impressed this on my spirit that there are many passionate Christians. They're passionate about casting out devils. They're passionate about healing the sick. There's passion with regards to the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth. However, if a soldier only carries passion moving into a war field, into a battleground, he is severely deficient, heavily disadvantaged against the army that he's fighting. Passion by itself is not sufficient to bring about successful warfare against any adversary or opposition. It's good to have passion. We all start with passion, but passion must move on to training. Passion must move on to proper education. See, if there's a soldier who's got a lot of passion, but you slap a sniper in his hand, he's not going to snipe anything. He won't snipe anything from 20, 20 feet away, let alone a mile away, because he doesn't, know, he doesn't know how to shoot. He doesn't know how to reload the gun. He doesn't know how to aim down the scope. The guy's aiming down the scope like this with the wrong eye shut down. And, and you know he's got a lot of passion. He's a good guy. He's got a good heart. He wants to advance the kingdom, but he simply lacks the necessary training, the necessary training that would allow him to be a person of impact in that warfare. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is good foundational teaching that I'm going to head off this broadcast with. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24. And don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one can receive the prize. So there's a lot of people that signed up, but only one can receive the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And he says, everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined or trained up in all things. Now, athletes do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we are training to be disciplined so that we can obtain an imperishable crown. So I run as thus, not with uncertainty, and I'm fighting as one who's not beating the air, but I'm disciplined. I'm trained up in my body and in my theology, bringing it to subjection, Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be called a castaway. So today, I want, because I'm getting a lot of um, exposure on social media to many, quote-unquote, deliverance ministries that simply don't know what the heck they're doing. And there's a lot of theatrics. There's a lot of dramatic unfolding of events that they label as deliverance because it's some spectacular show but there's truly nothing going on there it's purely just theatrics because it's not biblical how do i know nothing's going on simply because it's not biblical i'm seeing people who may have started off very well now get into these antics that are that are, are 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 humiliating to say the least 
with regards to the deliverance ministry, they're actually, they're actually um, defiling a pure thing that God instituted. And I'm going to say this because it needs to be said, there actually is no deliverance ministry. There are no deliverance ministers, just like there is no healing ministry or healing ministers. Oh, he's a healing evangelist. Oh, he's a delivering deliverance teacher or trainer. There is no such thing as that. The Bible says very clearly in Mark chapter 16, those who believe will cast out demons in his name. They will lay hands on the sick. And Jesus commissioned not only the 12, he commissioned the 70. And then further on, he commissioned the rest of the church in John 14 when he told the people, what you've seen me do, you shall do in greater work shall you do because I go into the Father. But he commissioned far more than just the 12. He commissioned people that were disciples. If you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been commissioned to do what? To go preach the kingdom, tell the people the kingdom of God is upon you, which that we're going to get into in a second. The kingdom of heaven is upon you. Heal the sick, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You want me to prove this to you? Because as I hear a lot of that. He's a deliverance minister. There is no such thing as he is. If you are a Christian, you carry power to deliver the downcast, to deliver the oppressed, to release them that are in satanic captivity. If you are a Christian, not if you are an apostle, not if you are a evangelist, not if you are part of the fivefold ministry, if you are simply a born-again, blood-washed, blood-bought Christian, you carry not only the power to deliver the satanically entangled or the sick but you carry the mandate you carry the command Jesus has commanded us to do it Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 3 listen to this and he called his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases and he sent them to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick well you know I don't really heal I don't really you know, do that healing stuff. I'm more of the proclamation guy. Just teach the word, brother. You can't have one without the other. How can you say, I just teach the word and it not lead to healing? He sent forth his word and it did heal them. When you teach the word, the power of the Lord will be present to heal the people. If you're teaching it in accuracy, I've said this many times, Proverbs 14, 25 says that a true witness delivers souls. A true witness delivers souls. So if you're going to be a true witness of the word of God, it's going to result and produce deliverance. It's going to produce Healing, it's going to produce salvation. You cannot tell me. I hear a lot of this. Will they have big churches that are appealing to people because they don't preach the true gospel? They preach a watered-down gospel. It may be so that there are watered-down places. I know a few of them myself. However, that whole scapegoat mindset of we don't have people coming to our church because we preach the gospel. They don't. That's not necessarily true. Yes, there are in the last days going to be people that give heat to seducing spirits and there'll be teachers that will uh, scratch the itching ears of people and men will heap up for themselves teachers that have no understanding to satisfy their own desires yes we understand bible prophecy however there are there is an impossibility for a genuine call genuinely called minister of the gospel to preach the death burial and resurrection of christ and it constantly produce no salvation no disciples no healing 
Jesus himself said, go and teach everyone my statutes, making disciples. The preaching of the gospel will result in the making of disciples. Let me say that again. The preaching of the gospel will result in the production of disciples. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that the word of the Lord has gone out and it is producing producing fruit everywhere that it goes. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, it says the same thing. The word is producing wherever it goes out. God himself said in Isaiah chapter 55, so shall my word be, which proceeds out of my mouth. It can never return void. It will produce the thing wherein I have sent it to produce. Hallelujah. So Luke chapter 9 is proof of that. We are all charged with the ministry of casting out devils we're all charged with the mandate of healing the sick but here's the issue we can know what the command is we can have the passion to do it but do you genuinely carry an understanding from the word of god i mean bible doctrine i'm getting so fed up i'm getting so fed up of so many youtube channels and everything There's no Bible doctrine anymore. It's all dogmatic statements based on their own thinking and examination of things. There's no Bible doctrine. You know, I hear people say like, God wants to set you free from sin. That's not just, yes, it's a statement built upon Bible doctrine, but there's no Bible doctrine that you're, Produce, that you're, you're, you're releasing into the hearing of the peoples whereby they now have a foundation for faith to be released and lay a hold of that power that can set them free from sin. My pastor just on Sunday morning, he pre- preached a masterful sermon on the believer's dominion over sin. You know why it was masterful? It's not because he's uh, 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 he floated and he had a halo come on his head and he began to just fly and 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 gravity lost hold on him and everyone was wow it wasn't because he made nice nice um cliche type statements that are very uh you know instagrammable or tweetable the masterfulness of his sermon was built upon the fact that he went through about 15 to 20 different scriptures that all correlate to produce an understanding of a doctrine found in the Bible, on the believer's dominion over sin. So it wasn't just people hearing, okay, God wants to set me free from sin. Great. How? How do we do that? What does it mean? What what does that even... He went through Romans 6. He went through different portions of Scripture that, that build a solid foundational rock upon which we can stand on to receive, to receive from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, get this in your spirit today. The Holy Ghost is not committed to confirming your dogmatic statement. The Holy Spirit's not committed to confirming your tweetable phrases. The Holy Spirit is not committed to confirming and manifesting in an environment where there's just simply intellectual prowess that's being shown and displayed. The Holy Ghost confirms doctrine. That's great, Tabitha, great scripture. Rooted in the word. The Bible says that we are to hold fast the doctrine which we have received. Rooted in the word. The Holy Ghost is obligated to confirm doctrine. He's obligated to confirm the word of God. 
So actually, preaching is one of the easiest things to do. Ministry is one of the easiest things to do. I, I don't understand when I hear people say ministry is hard. It's not. It's not hard at all. You know how easy it is? Preach the doctrine of the word, no matter how unfavorable it may be, no matter how, uh, uh, um, how controversial in this given cultural climate it may be. Preach the word of God in doctrine. Build a solid case from the word to present to the people like a lawyer does before a judge. Present a solid case from the word. When I preach on healing, I'm not just telling people God wants to heal you. I'm showing you from the word examples of Jesus healing the sick, showing the unchangeableness of Jesus' ministry, and then showing you from the book of Acts how it never sees and how today faith still brings about healing. So I go through that. Now listen to this. That, that, that's how easy ministry is. You present a solid case built upon the evidence of the word of God. And then, you get this, this is the easy part. That's actually our responsibility. Here's the next. And then we just minister to the people through the laying on of hands, through praying over people. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, brings the freedom, brings the liberty, brings the deliverance, brings the healing, brings salvation. We do our small little part of opening up our mouths unashamedly. That's what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I keep to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No matter if they call me a fool for Christ, I will be a fool for Christ and stand for Christ because I know when I'm a fool for Christ, God's spirit will manifest himself in power. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. So that's what I want to do today when it comes to casting out devils. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 11. Thanks for joining me today. I'd be so happy if you that are tuning in right now would like this. If you're on YouTube, comment. If you're on Facebook, hit that share button. Help me get this word out because I believe it's going to really equip, empower, and train up people for the genuine work of casting out devils in our generation. And Lester Sumrall, and I say it again, Lester Sumrall would always say in the nearing, the coming up to the last day, to the day where Jesus raptures his church, as we approach that day, there's not going to be less demonic activity on the earth there's going to be a picking up of demonic activity on the earth there's going to be more people that are demonically possessed that need deliverance there's going to be more people that need help in our generation than ever before and i think if you just flip on the news or go on twitter or go on your instagram feed or whatever you'll be able to see exactly what i'm saying there's confusion this whole gender dysphoria and all that stuff that's not that's not that's not natural that's not that's not, you understand that in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, even up until 2010, gender dysphoria was listed as a mental, severe mental disease that John Hopkins University did not have an answer to. They thought that conducting the sex change was actually going to produce a freedom of mind in like almost release them. As we, we, we mutilate them and give them new body parts that will release them from that mental torment that they carry. And as they were doing it, it didn't release anybody. It actually doubled down. The suicide rate amongst those that have gone through the surgery is far worse than the suicide rate of those who have not yet done it. Why? Because there's a demon. There's a demonic uh, a presence in their mind and in their spirits that is causing them to have these thoughts to mutilate themselves and that's not a new thing we see that in Elijah's day we see it in Mark chapter 5 and so these people need help 
The Bible says in Obadiah verse 21 that in the last days, deliverers will arise out of Mount Zion. That's what I'm believing that this broadcast is going to produce anointed, trained up, equipped deliverers who don't just have power to cast out devils and heal the sick, but will carry an understanding biblically of the authority of the believer and the easiness, get this, the easiness of, 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 of this ministry, the easiness, how easy it is. It's not some complex thing, and I'm going to show you that right now. Luke chapter 11, and beginning with verse 14, listen to this. And Jesus was casting out a demon. Well, I don't really believe in demons. You're, you, well, then you don't believe in the Bible because the Bible talks about the presence of demons. Jesus cast out demons. Peter cast out demons. Philip cast out demons. Paul cast out demons. Demons are real. We've established that. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. So you see that this demon was in the person. It says he went out. Now, I've said this before, and I stand by what I said, and I'm going to repeat it unashamedly because it needs to be said. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which every Christian is, you cannot have a demon in you. In you. Now, don't X off this broadcast just because I just challenged everything you know. Let me explain what I'm saying. There are four levels of demonic attack listed in the New Testament. There is katadinesteo, Acts 10.38, those that are oppressed by the devil. To be oppressed means to have something exert pressure against you. There's an outside force exerting pressure against you. Oppression, katadinesteo. Notice how it doesn't say daimonitsamai, where we get the name demon-possessed. Number two, there is the word okleo in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 through 16. The Bible says that there were many tormented by unclean spirits. That's the word okleo. Okleo simply defined is one who is tormented, molested, or harassed by a demon. Okleo. Notice the word is not daimonitsamai because oftentimes when we talk about the relationship of an individual with a demon, it's always Daimonitsamai, but it's not. It's not. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it's not always Daimonitsamai. This is where you get confused. A lot of Christians get confused because they feel okleo. They feel tormented. They feel like their mind is being tormented by unclean thoughts. They feel katadinosteo, oppressed. I myself was katadinosteo, oppressed by a devil when I had obsessive compulsive disorder. I was not demon possessed. And there's a lot of Christians, they feel as if there is a presence of a demon that is influencing these thoughts, influencing this oppression. And because they're only told now that it's daimonitsamai, you're demon-possessed, they now feel like they have a demon in themselves, that they carry a demon, that there's, a, there's, a, there's something that has infiltrated, that has bypassed the shield of faith around them and has gotten into their body, gotten into their soul, and it creates this paranoia and panic when in actual fact, nothing has come into the person. There's simply an influence that's going on from the outside in. And you have two camps now. You have one camp that says, it's always diamond needs of mine. If anyone has any type of 
demonic interference, they need a demon cast out of them. Then you have the other side of the camp that says, no, nothing is demonic. It's just the flesh. I believe the crucifixion of the flesh is important and must be preached. But I do also believe that there are some people that there are demons preying on the lusts of their flesh and are influencing them. It doesn't mean they have the demon in them. They still must put down the, the flesh. They still must crucify the flesh. And they must resist the devil that is on the outside influencing those thoughts. And he will flee. So you understand, there's two camps. There's two extremes. There's one that says we don't believe in demons at all. We don't talk about that. That if there's any type of depression or anxiety, it's the flesh. It's all the flesh. No, it's not always the flesh. There are people that are genuinely tormented by demons in their mind and they have constant panic attacks and it's influenced by an outside force. Then you have the other side that everything that, that if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you have OCD, you have a demon. But that's simply not true. I said it. Catadinisteo, oppression. Ocleo, tormented. And then three, there's bellows to be attacked by a demon. Act, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. The shield of faith will extinguish every fiery dart, bellows of the wicked one. Attacks. There's demonic attack. Now, understand, these three words that we just spoke on, which are all in the New Testament, deal with an attack from the outside in. From the outside in not from the inside out. There's the fourth word that's daimonizomai. When someone is daimonizomai, they are fully possessed of a devil. They are under the full dominating power of a devil, wherein the demon has now assumed a level of control by access that's been given to them over their physical body and mental faculties. And that's where you see people talk back to the preacher. That's where you see there's, there is... Um, there is a, 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 a manifestation of the demon through the physical and solical faculties of an individual. We see that in Mark chapter 5, clearly demon-possessed. Here, we see that when the mute man had the demon cast out of him, that demon that was in him no longer had the ability to hold his mouth shut and his tongue shut, and he was able to speak again. So three of the four... Levels of attack that we just, I just defined, a Christian can undergo or suffer through those things if they give permission. There's a shield of faith that can quench every single one of these things. And if you understand your position in Christ, you're not going to be under these things. You're going to be over these things. But the reality is there's many who do not have the knowledge of the truth of which we've just gone through and what we're going to go through today of our authority in Christ. And as such, they suffer unnecessarily under the power of the devil where Christ has actually positioned us way above principalities and powers. We're going to get into that. But three of the four, even a Christian can go through. But the fourth one, Daimonitsamai, I'm telling you this, and I'll, I can prove it through scripture. What fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has Christ with Belial? Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost, whom you have from God. You know, I was thinking of this, and I was reading a book before, and it stirred on this thought. When Jesus' right foot hit the country of the Gadarenes, and that man who had 6,000 roughly demons in him, the legion of demons, that could not be bound by shackle or chains, but was always in the mountains and in the tombs, cutting himself with stones. When Jesus' right foot hit the ground, that man ran to the shores of the Gadara region, Gadara region and bowed his faith before Jesus. 
and said, what have we to do with you, son of the most high God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Mark chapter 1, the same thing. Jesus gets up to speak and what happens? There's a man in whom there's a, there's a man with a demon inside him that speaks up and says, have you come to torment, torment, torture us before the time? So what does these two verses give us an understanding of? That the presence of Jesus Christ and his spirit is a tormenting force to the presence of an unclean spirit and to the presence of a devil. Now, my question to these people that believe Christians can have demons is this. If a demon while Christ was roaming the earth could not get around Jesus because it was torturous to them, it was tormenting to their own soul or whatever, they, their own spirit, why do you think that if we are the carriers of the Holy Ghost and Christ lives in us, why do you think that a demon would even want to live in the same abode in which God's spirit, which is tormenting them, dwells in. We are the habitation of God on the earth. Think of it. Think of it. If they couldn't stand the presence of Christ in the region, then why would they stand the presence of Christ in you? Hallelujah. I pray. That I feel the light bulbs going, on, going, going off on people right now. I feel it. I see it. I see it in the spirit. Some people are being set free. Because there's a doctrine that's going around that is literally creating a paranoia in Christians. They're paranoid. And I get them coming to my meetings. They're paranoid. I need a demon cast out of me. I don't discern any demon in you. You don't need a demon cast out of you. You need an understanding of the dominion mandate of the believer. And I'll pray for their eyes to be open. And then I've seen them get into the word and read books like The Believer's Authority by Kenneth Hagin and then realize, man, I never had a demon. I just was being taken advantage of by a demon because I simply did not understand my inheritance as a born-again believer. I didn't understand my position in Christ. I didn't understand my authority because of now being part of the body of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me move on because we're not going to get into this today if we don't. He cast out, but some of them said, after Jesus cast the demon out of that person, some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others testing Jesus sought from him a sign from heaven. Point number one in what I'm, about, what I'm reading here is the first thing they said when they saw Jesus cast the demon out of another was he cast out demons by Beelzebub. It was a representative of Satan, really. The ruler of demons. That's why he's able to cast these out. The religious were claiming here that Jesus was casting demons out of people because he was a high-ranking principality operating in the realm of spiritual darkness. Jesus was accused here of being a high-ranking principality that had a level of authority in the region of darkness. And that's simply not so. It's simply not so. What does Jesus say? Let's go on. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against itself will fall. So Jesus cleared up that nonsense. He said, if I was a part of Satan's kingdom and I was casting Satan out of people, then we would be divided. And then even Satan himself understands that if he got divided amongst his own, his own self and his own kingdom and his own minions, that there would be disastrous effect and division. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? He's saying even Satan understands that there should be no division. If you hear some testimonies of people that 
uh, were high-level witches or operated in witchcraft or whatever, there, there is this strategy. There is this, this um, level of unity and purpose that even darkness operates in to implement their wicked agendas on the earth. So even Satan here understands that division against himself will equate to fall. Because you say that I cast out demons by bales above. And if I cast out demons by bales above, by whom do your sons cast them out? They will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, underline that in your Bible, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So we see here Jesus saying, when he said every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, Jesus was essentially disassociating himself with the leagues of darkness and he asserted his, to his audience that he was operating in a higher realm of authority than even Beelzebub. Then he moves on to say, if I cast out demons by the finger of God. I'm, trying, I'm trying to show you Jesus' perspective when it came to deliverance. I'm trying to show you how easy it was for Jesus. I'm trying to show you the pattern, who the example of our life and our ministries and our faith should be, the standard of it all should be Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be any preacher, although there are some preachers that imitate Christ and you can imitate them as they imitate Christ. But we ultimately go back to the Bible and the Gospels and we watch the standard, Jesus Christ. How did he cast out demons? He says it. He says, not only am I not a high-ranking principality in the regions of darkness, and that's why I can do this, not only am I operating in a higher realm of authority than the kingdom of darkness in its entirety, including the devil himself, but when I cast a demon out, it's by the finger of God. My pinky finger is more than enough power. It doesn't even require the hand of God to deal with these things. It is the finger of God. The finger of God is a figure of speech of how easy this thing is for God to accomplish. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The finger of God. He doesn't say I cast out demons by the hand of God. He's, he's literally, I love it because you have some preachers that they, they love to venerate the devil. They love to talk highly about the devil. But I see Jesus and other men of God in the Bible, when they refer to the devil, they're always referring to him unto, uh, with reference to his defeat. They're always referring to him as a low-level chump. There's always a mocking tone. Always a mocking tone. Elijah, when he's calling, calling out the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, and they're cutting themselves with stones, calling on their God of Baal, waiting for him to send fire on the sacrifice which they had prepared upon the altar. The Bible says, Elijah said, perhaps, it says it they, he began to mock the people. And he said, perhaps your God is on a journey. Perhaps he's relieving himself in the bathroom. Perhaps he is tired and has taken a nap. There's just this mocking tone. Some of you have learned to revere the devil, but some of you need to learn to mock the devil. Some of you need to understand and see the devil in light of his defeat, not in light of him being this uh, Hollywood, Hollywood pictured red-tailed dragon with giant biceps and triceps with a pitchfork and fire in his eyes, but as what he really is, a defeated, head-cracked, dilapidated, emaciated devil 
who has been stripped, disarmed of all power and all authority. Hallelujah. Jesus said the finger of God and he was referencing even the minutest portion of God's power can deal with any demon power that might stand against it. He moves on to say, when a stronger than he comes upon him. Hallelujah. You need to highlight that in your Bible. Because Jesus, wherever he went, he preached, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Is here. Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is God in flesh. And so when he said in Luke eleven twenty two, 22, when a stronger than he comes upon him, he's saying, this is what deliverance is. Get this, get this, tune in, listen to what I'm saying. This is what deliverance is. The deliverance, uh, what deliverance is? Deliverance is the kingdom of God superimposing itself upon the inferior kingdom of darkness. When a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him. Deliverance is the kingdom of heaven overcoming, overwhelming, swallowing up the inferior, weakened kingdom of darkness that may have set up its barracks there before. But now must pack its bags for it is on notice. The kingdom of heaven is stronger than the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus says, when one stronger than he, referring to the devil, comes upon him and overcomes him, he'll take from him all his armor in which he's trusted, and he will defeat him and defi- uh, divide his spoils. So essentially, deliverance is this. this. I want to make deliverance easy for you today. Deliverance is a heavenly invasion to a hellish kingdom whereby the strength, resources, and armor of that entity is disarmed and destroyed. Hallelujah. Now, let's get in to why Jesus could operate like this. Who is Jesus? Because who you perceive Jesus to be will dictate who he is to you and how you view life. Who is Jesus? He came to Peter and John. He said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, you have to see Jesus in light of his victory and his victorious position. You need to see Jesus as he really is. He's not a little baby swinging in a manger. He's not a slain lamb anymore. Who is Jesus? Revelation 1 pictures Jesus as the one whose eyes were like a flame of fire, whose hair is white as wool, face shining like the sun in its brilliance, feet like burnished bronze, his voice like the sound of many waters, like thunder. Hallelujah. That's who Jesus is. So you have to understand, not only is that who Jesus is, but the greater one, Jesus Christ, by his spirit, Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. So where you go, the one whose eyes are like a flame of fire shows up too. Hallelujah. Who can stand against that one? Who can stand against the king of kings? Because remember, they said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler, the king of demons. They were saying that he's got an authority in the ranks of hell. That's why he's able to do that. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Yes, I do have authority over the ranks of hell because I am the king of kings. 
all kings, even the king of the demons, Lucifer must subject and submit to me. Every king is subservient to my will and my purposes. When I come in, my dominion, my dominion, no matter the principality or power that was there before, when I come, when I enter into the place, my dominion is asserted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So who is Jesus? Let's read. Ephesians chapter 1. What does the Bible say about the dominion of Jesus? And where that dominion extends to? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Therefore I also, when I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory and the inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Listen to this, verse 20, Ephesians 1.20, which God worked in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead, seated Jesus at his right hand, which is the place of authority, in the heavenly places. Now where? Verse 21 defines where exactly that place of authority is in heavenly places. It is far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name or authority that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So where is, or what is under the dominion of Jesus? What is under the dominion of Jesus? We just read it. All principalities, all powers, all might, all dominions, or kingdoms, and every other authority that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Meaning, everything is under the feet of Jesus. The Bible says, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. All things are under his feet. Matthew 28, 19. Behold, all power and authority, Jesus said, has been given unto me has been given unto me. If all power and all authority has been given to Jesus, how much power and how much authority is left for the devil? No power and no authority. The Bible says in Jeremiah, or in Psalms, Thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted above all gods everywhere. Above all natural and supernatural entities, natural and supernatural authorities, natural and supernatural kingdoms, natural and supernatural personalities, all things are subject to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's important to understand this if you're going to be emboldened to cast out demons. Because if you have this stupid portrayal in your mind that Jesus and the devil are arm wrestling together and Jesus has sweat coming down his brow and the devil has sweat coming down his brow and there's this even match going on and there's this constant back and forth battle between the two, you'll never carry the authority to actually cast out the devil, let alone the authority to make your dog pee in a certain place. You won't have authority at all. You won't have authority at all. When you, when you see the Hollywood portrayal of the devil and Jesus, that they're co-equal in power, that Jesus is just representative of good and the devil is a representative of evil, 
then you're going to be exactly how Hollywood portrayal, portrays exorcism to go. What do they do? The priest walks in with a cross in his hand and with some holy water in his other hand. And he walks in with a defensive position with his head on a swivel in case there's another one crawling on the ceiling. And he walks in uh, pleading Hail Marys. Hail Mary, Hail, you know, and, and, and with a, 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 the water, sprinkling the water on the demon eyes and the cross, almost like his line of defense as he cowardly moves forward on his tippy toes, hoping that perhaps, hoping that, that, that the, the demon eyes will not give him the Acts 19 treatment that they gave to the seven sons of Sceva where it leapt on them and prevailed against them and beat them up so that they left bruised, naked, and wounded. And there's this, this cowardly disposition on their face and this, this fearful advancement where we're the inferior one that we got to be careful because that devil, he's got power. And there's a lot of Christians that operate like that. A lot of them. A lot of them. They feel a dark presence in a place. We got to leave. We got to leave. You know how many times I had that in Bible college? Oh, you should have been there when we were on the plane going to India. We were about to land in one of the airports there. And, and it's, like when, it's like we knew when we, when we were landing and, and we were getting closer because all of us, like all at once, we got sick in our stomachs and we're like, we gotta go throw up, we gotta go throw up and we were throwing up in the Or maybe, just maybe, it was a windy day and the turbulence of the plane was kind of making you uneasy and you had to throw up because of that. Or you had some bad airplane food that's akin to like prison food and it wasn't settling too well in your stomach. Perhaps, just perhaps that. I don't see Jesus seeing the gathering demoniac and him coming with his own little version of his cross, shaking in paralyzing fear. I see Jesus as dignified, understanding his royalty, understanding his position, understanding his authority and right to rulership on the earth. I don't see Jesus trembling. I see demons trembling at the presence of Jesus. Let me tell you in the name of Jesus. From today, demons will tremble at your presence. You are a carrier of the same spirit that Christ has. You are a carrier of the presence and glory of God. And the same way demons could not stand the pressure of God's kingdom in Christ, they will not stand the pressure of God's kingdom in you. The role shall be reversed in Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the dominion of Christ. Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. He's speaking not only of the natural rulers, presidents and emperors and all that. He's talking about also the spiritual rulers of darkness and heavenly places that we can read of in Ephesians chapter 6. And it says here, who are coming to nothing. Which have come to naught is a better translation. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6. The rulers of this age which have come to nothing. The word in the Greek there is katargeo. Katargeo. Or katargeo. 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 Forgive me if you're Greek. Katargeo. And it literally means to render idle, to unemploy them, to inactivate, to render inoperative, 
to cause a person or a thing to have no further efficiency, to deprive it of its power, its force, and of its influence. So the Bible says, Paul speaking here, that the rulers of this world have been katargeo. The rulers of this world have been rendered idle. The spiritual rulers of this world have been unemployed. Hallelujah. The spiritual rulers of this world have been inactivated, rendered inoperative. They have been caused to have no further efficiency. They have been deprived of power and of influence and of force. That's Bible doctrine, my friends. I hear a lot of deliverance preachers today saying we got to show respect for the devil because if you don't show respect for the devil and they use Jude, they use Jude's scripture because Jude said here that um, Jude said in, in, in his only chapter, he says, yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation, but said the Lord rebuke you. And they used that to be like, we should be careful on how we speak about the devil. We should be careful about how we speak towards the devil. We should be careful of our, our, our words when referencing the devil because he's going to hear you. He's going to hear you. And if he hears you, he might come and attack you. He can try his best. His best ain't enough. There's no weapon formed against me that can prosper. The Bible says I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm encrypted in Him. The Bible says the greater one lives in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says the shield of faith quenches every fiery dart of the devil. So this whole thing of he's going to hear you. Be careful. I hear this all the time. Oh yes, I don't preach much on casting out devils because when I did that once, I remember, oh, it's like my whole family ended up getting the flu the next week and we weren't, we didn't know what to do we realize it must be traced back that the devil was angry look Paul made the devil angry everywhere he went and there's no record of him being sick there's no record of him ever 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 uh, ever being beat out of regions because of a devil was manifesting he just took dominion everywhere he went there's no record of it there's no record of it this whole notion of we got to stay away from talking about casting out devils and dominion and talking about the devil because for fear that he's going to hear us and he's going to kind of direct his, his scope towards us. It's actually a demonic tactic and deception that the enemy wants preachers to believe so as to avoid exposing darkness as how weak it really is so that the devil can operate unhindered, continuously. The Bible says light exposes darkness. The word of God exposes darkness. The devil is the prince of darkness. He operates in darkness. He operates in your ignorance. But today, I'm going to shed light so that you can leave this broadcast having a superiority complex in your dealings with the devil. And that you'll have two things, a great awe and a great reverence for the dominion of Jesus Christ and how great he is and a great sense of understand a great understanding of the depravity of Satan of his weakened nature the bible says the kingdoms the rulers of this age have come to naught rendered unemployed He's an unemployed devil. The devil lost his job. Hallelujah. Colossians 2.14 says, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He disarmed principalities and powers. 
This whole casting out devils like this for fear that he's going to hit you back. No, not for those that are outside of his reign of terror, which the Bible says we were in the dominion of darkness, but we've been transferred out of it and into the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah. I'm not under his kingdom anymore. And because of that, I am not subject to his laws. I'm not subject to his government anymore. I'm not subject to his edicts and his commands. I am now under the dominion of Christ. It's a higher dominion. It's a higher kingdom. A higher kingdom. The dominion of Christ is infinitely higher and more potent than that of all the regions of darkness. So we understand the dominion of Christ here. But how do, what does that mean for me? Ephesians chapter 2. We just read Ephesians chapter 1, but let's read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says the following. Remember, Jesus has a name that is above every other name. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It doesn't say at the pleading, because that's another thing you see a lot of times in casting out devils. You have people go, in the name of Jesus, 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 in the name of Jesus. We come you, we command you, we command you, in the name of Jesus, we command you, in the name of Jesus, in the name of What what did you forget to take your meds? It ain't supposed to be like that. It doesn't say at the Annoying repetition of the name of Jesus. Eventually the devil gets so annoyed. He's like, forget it. I'm out. It says at the mention of his name. The mention of his name. Just the mention. I want to, I'm saying it many times through this broadcast. I want to simplify deliverance for you. I want to make it easy. So the next time there is one who manifests. Wherever you're at, in your school, in your workplace. You're not going to be like, I'll keep you in prayer. Or just stretch out your hand and say, Father, we just pray peace for this person right now. No, there's an understanding and a training as to how you can deal with that thing to loose its hold off that person. Ephesians 2. Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Once walked according to the course of this world. No longer walk according to the prince of the power of the air. No longer walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Meaning he no longer is our king. He's no longer our master. We're actually his master in Christ. The spirit who now walks in or works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you also conducted yourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us with, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Amen. We're alive in Christ. But it moves on. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up together. Praise God. I'm not just alive and still in that tomb. I've been raised up and I've come out of the tomb. But even greater than coming out of the tomb of religion and tradition and worldly principle is he then further went to make us to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where's Christ seated? Far above principalities, far above powers. Where are we seated? In Christ Jesus, in the same position, far above principality, far above power. In Ephesians 1.22, the church is explained to be Christ's body. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So if you're a part of the body of Christ, even if you feel like you're the pinky toe in the body, you are still above principalities and powers. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 
No matter if you got saved yesterday or this weekend, the Bible declares that you are a part of his body. The Bible says, a part of his body, which he has made all things subject to. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Starts off by saying, through Adam's offense, death reigned. The devil reigned. The laws of sin and death reigned. We were subject to those laws. But now, those who have received the grace of God and the gift of righteousness, which if you are saved, the Bible says he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, will now what? Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So what is that saying? In essence, Paul is saying the dominion that man forfeited in Adam, because remember God created Adam, he said, have dominion upon the earth and subdue it. Man was created with dominion over this planet and anything on it, including the devil himself. But when man forfeited by sinning, when man sinned, he forfeited that dominion over to the devil. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, that the dominion that was forfeited in Adam has now been restored in Christ Jesus. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I hope that light bulbs are going off right now. Luke chapter 10. Gives you a, a holy boldness today. No matter how bad of a day it started, that you're going to end strong in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Luke 10, verse 17. And the 70 return with joy. Ministry is joyful. It's very joyful when you do it right. They return with joy and they said, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, which are symbolic of the activity of hell on the earth and over all the power of the devil and nothing will by any means harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, then you carry a dominion and authority over every force of darkness. And as such, you now only have the command to cast out demons, but you have the right to do it and the power to do it. I give you power over unclean spirits to cast them out. Mark 16, they that believe in my name, they will cast out devils. They will heal the sick. Matthew 10, 1. And he gave him power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every sickness that was amongst the people. Great. But now, in conclusion, how can I, how can you, April, Lydia, Tabitha, Sharon, John, Sarah, how can we cast out devils effectively wherever we go? Three main ways. How to properly cast out a devil. Because I see all kinds of stuff nowadays on social media. I'm seeing, get the oil. There's no oil. I'm seeing, get the water. There's no need for water. I'm seeing, we need to have a conversation with this demon. Which that, I actually want to talk about that today. The whole notion of conversing with demons is such a twisting of the scripture. Mark chapter 5. When Jesus, when the demon saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? I implore you by God, you don't torment me. Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? 
So there seems to have been some sort of stubbornness with this demon to leave. It seems to be, because it says, for he said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we have entered them. And at once Jesus gave him permission and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine and ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned. So a lot of people use that scripture to prove or to, to validate the conversations they have with people that claim to have demons. And I've seen it. I've seen it. What is your name? I saw one person ask a, a lady who looked no more than 30 years old saying, what, you know, what demon are you in, in her? What demon are you? And then the person said, the lady said, I, I'm, I'm Beelzebub. Oh, there, who else? Who else are you? And then she said, I, I'm also Legion. Oh, who else are you? I, I'm the spirit of Baal. Oh, wow. And then finally it ended with Lucifer. I, I'm Lucifer. Wow. So you're telling me this little young girl under the age of 30 who has effectively done relatively nothing with her life is carrying four of the major principalities of the regions of hell and darkness. Not only is she Baal, who's a major player in the kingdom of darkness, not only is she, uh, what did I say, uh, Baal, Beelzebub. Not only is she, it, does she carry the spirit of Beelzebub in her, she also carried the spirit of Lucifer himself. Astonishing that a person who's virtually done nothing for the kingdom of hell, who's lived some mundane life, just keeping to herself, carries the spirit of Lucifer. You would think Lucifer was maybe, I don't know, in Davis, Switzerland, with the WEF. You'd think maybe Lucifer, Beelzebub would be hanging out in ISIS-run territories or something like that. But no, no, they're all in this one little girl. It makes no sense. It's, it's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It is turning people away from actual deliverance. It is putting a negative stigma on the entire deliverance portion of God's great commission, which includes casting out devils. It's making people have a sour taste in their mouth towards even bringing up deliverance, lest they also be bunched in with that crowd. They're talking with these demons and the person is, and then, and then I saw the person proceed to, we command you to come out, whatever. And uh, the person just started weeping and worshiping Jesus. And I, I thought to myself, in the entire New Testament, every time an unclean spirit went out of a person, it resulted in the person kind of looking dead. In Mark chapter 5, the Bible says that the man went out, the, the, the demon went out of the person. Actually, it doesn't say necessarily describe anything in chapter, Mark chapter 5. But in uh, Mark chapter 9, it talks about a, a demon coming out of a person. And the, the boy fell as though one dead. There was this release. There was this, here there was, not, there was no release. There was just, I'm speaking in strange voices. And then now I'm all of a sudden 
worshiping Jesus. And I'm not against worshiping Jesus, pardon all that. I'm just saying that there's no way you carried four of the main principalities of hell. And when they all supposedly came out of you, that you just started to cry. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. I cast a demon out of a person who was not a believer, because we don't believe Christians have demons. But I cast a demon out of a person who got saved in my meeting in uh, 2017 or 18. I still remember this. And when she got saved, she came up to receive prayer. I put my hand on her, and I felt the presence of a demon. I commanded that thing to leave, and instantly she fell to the ground. She had never been to church. She had never seen any of this before. She fell to the ground, lied there for about one half of an hour. And when she got up, she looked dazed and confused as to where she was. And I asked her, what happened to you? She said, when you prayed for me, I, I, saw, um, I saw four angels come down from heaven. And there was this dark personality that was over me, that was like gripping over me, trying to like hide me. And those four angels that were white, light, like light manifesting, came down and each grabbed one limb and they, they lifted that dark presence off of me and carried it away. And now I came in feeling like I was carrying two or three people and now I feel, I feel light. I feel like a feather. There was a lady I preached for in, uh, uh, there was a church I preached for in, in Brantford, Ontario and there was a lady there in the meeting who was fully demonized. She got saved and then when I went to pray for her, she looked like maybe in her 60s. I, I said, you foul spirit, come out of her. The moment I said that, she dropped as one did. She dropped. There was a release. There was a relinquishing of that, that strong grip of the devil over that person's mind and body. And instantly she was delivered. She got up out of her wheelchair. It's like that mute man that got delivered and the mute man spoke. When I prayed for this lady, she got up out of a wheelchair and never went to sit back down. And she, she moved on to, to, to actually go into the ministry after that. That's in their 60s. Hallelujah. So there's a lot of excess going on. There's a lot of nonsense going on. Conversations with demons. Let, let me actually finish what I was saying about Mark chapter 5. When Jesus said, what is your name to this stubborn demon? He wasn't trying to have a conversation. Oh, hey, what's your name? Hey, Luke, can you get some coffee? We should have a conversation with this demon. That wasn't the purpose of Jesus asking what the name of this demon was. The reason why Jesus said, what is your name? Is because this demon was being stubborn. And so because of it, Jesus, who the Bible says has a name above every other name, in this, not, I don't want to say, it's not arrogance because Jesus is not arrogant, but in this confident manner, ask this demon, remind me again what your name is. Because Jesus was reminding that demon, that legion of demons, do you remember what my name is? Remind me again what your, what is your name again? You're going you're gonna to give me a problem. You're going to give me a struggle. You're going to be stubborn towards me. Remind me what your name is again. We are legion for our memory. Oh, okay. Got it. So your name's not Jesus. Name above all names. Your name's legion. Come out. And then they beg, please just put us in the spine then. That was it. So it wasn't Jesus saying, please, what is your name? Because I need to know what your name is if I'm going to cast you out. We need to know. First of all, they're lying spirits. They wouldn't even give you the right name anyways. Most, most of these demons, when they have, what is your name? They'll give you anything. I'm the spirit of Peter. What? I'm the spirit of 
I'm the spirit of Hitler on the earth. No, that spirit, he's in hell. He's in hell and he's burning in hell. He's not on the earth roaming. So when Jesus was saying, what is your name? He was not trying to enter into a coffee talk shop, coffee, uh, coffee shop talk. He was asserting his dominion and authority. He said, I know what your name is and it's far below my name. So come out. And it was immediately after that, that that demon, that demon fled. So how do you properly cast out a demon? Any New Testament context of a demon coming out, there was not a one hour drawn out session. There wasn't a half an hour drawn out session. There wasn't a six hour deliverance that was conducted. Every single New Testament deliverance, whether it be Paul or Jesus, don't matter who it was, Every single one of them, deliverance, examples of the New Testament, occurred within seconds. This, Mark 5, was actually the longest one, and it could have been maybe 30 seconds. If you actually read it out, what is your name? The whole conversation, tops 30 seconds. Tops 30 seconds. So this whole, and, and you know what? That's what you see now, is you have... Preachers that are trying to cast the devil out of someone, and because they think it has to be a 60-minute thing, it actually pulls away from the attention of the service, the focus of the service. Because the, let me get, tell you something. Let me give you a little hint. Not a hint. Let me give you a, a, a freebie, a free point of, uh, of counsel. Demons seek to, tear, to take away the focus that is supposed to be given towards Christ. That's why oftentimes you see this manifestation, this growling, this great outward display of beast-like behavior because the demon is trying to actually pull away the attention away from God towards itself. They hoard attention. They love it because they don't get it, so they love it. And so when you have preachers that think that it has to be a 30 to 60 minute deliverance session, it actually, oftentimes I've seen it, it just pulls away the attention towards what God wanted to do in that service towards one case. Towards one case. I've had this happen in my services. It's in Cutstown, Pennsylvania in the year 2019 probably. And there was a lady that was brought, a young 18-year-old, 17-year-old, who began to manifest a demon. Was not saved, was not born again. And in my service began to manifest a demon and yell out in, in different voices. Young, little, tiny, uh, non-threatening girl when she walked into that church that night. But as I was preaching... She began to manifest the demon, and I went. And then she, she would say, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out. No, don't touch me, she said. Don't touch me, in this growling voice. I didn't do anything to her. Just, I just went up to her. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. What did I do? I said, come out in Jesus' name. Oh, no, no. You know what I did? I quoted Jude. Because I'm not, I'm not freaking waiting. I'm not. I'm sorry if freaking offended you, but that's how passionate I'm about it. I'm not waiting. I'm not letting you ruin this service. There's other people that came to receive. You're not going to pull away the attention from what God wants to do tonight. You know what I quoted? And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Do you want to join them or not? come out within five seconds that thing poof, wait it, it, it left within five seconds i promise you the little girl was poof, collapsed as if dead they came to pray for her and all that 
said, leave her alone, she'll be all right. She got up after, and she was so thankful. She was someone that was brought in from Puerto Rico, came to, uh, she came to visit her family, and her family brought her to the meeting and got delivered right there. Got delivered all kinds of, of, of demonic powers. Got saved after that, gave her life to Christ, new creation. Notice how it started. So how to properly cast out a demon. Number one, demons will come out, and it's a perfect transition actually, given that story. Demons will come out when you simply just preach the gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to the people. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did perform. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Notice here that Philip, there's no record of Philip praying for anybody. No record of Philip even using the name of Jesus to pray for anybody. There's just Philip preaching Christ to the people. He preached Jesus. He preached the resurrected Christ. While he was preaching, there was demons that were manifested and came out of people with a loud voice. There's a friend of mine, Evangelist Kofi, was in Africa not long ago doing a crusade. And he said, I've never seen more demons manifest in my life than when I just preached the blood of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ. Without anybody calling them forward to lay hands on anybody, without any of that, just simply preaching the gospel cause obviously the people, they have a sense of awareness in it. And so they, the word was preached to them. There was obviously a level of faith that rose up. And then the demon had his last ditch effort to keep him bound. But he came around the fire, hallelujah. And the fire is not my word, like fire. Just like when Paul was making a fire in Acts 28. And when he made the fire, a viper came out and bit his hand. And he shook the viper back into the fire. And the same fire that drew the viper out is the same fire that destroyed the viper. In the same way, the gospel is fire power. And that same fire that draws them out is the same fire that will destroy them. And he said, I saw hundreds of people manifest demons. And then one by one, as I prayed one, unis, uni, uh, one, one united prayer, they just came out of people. Just came out of people. I didn't even, he didn't even preach on devils that night. He didn't even preach on dominion. He didn't preach on any of that. He just preached the gospel. The gospel will drive demons out of people, out of regions, out of families. The gospel is power. My gospel did not come in word only, but in power. The gospel carries the power of heaven. The gospel is, the proclamation of the gospel is the arrival of the kingdom. And the arrival of the kingdom of heaven it means the exodus of the kingdom of hell. The proclamation of the gospel of God is the arrival of the kingdom of God. And the arrival of the kingdom of God is the exodus, the termination of the rule of the kingdom of darkness in any place. Hallelujah. There's power in the gospel. Write that in the comment section. There is power in the gospel. Number two. How do you properly cast out demons? How can we effectively cast a demon out? By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Bible says in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Listen to this. 1911. Now God worked extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and 
evil spirits went out of them. It doesn't say Paul spoke the name of Jesus over anybody. It doesn't say Paul went and prayed for anybody. It doesn't even say Paul preached to these people. It just says that the residue anointing that was on his body, when they took the handkerchiefs off his body and they cut them up, divided them, and sent them out to those that were sick, the sick were healed. And when they sent them out to those that were demon-possessed, the demons left. Hallelujah. That's the power of the anointing. Acts Isaiah 10, 27, the Bible says, the anointing lifts up the heavy burden and destroys the yoke of captivity. Acts 10, 38, no doubt you know of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. The anointing breaks the oppression of the devil. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to what? Proclaim, release to the captives. The anointing is a liberating power. A liberating power. The anointing liberates. The Spirit of God, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Smith Wigglesworth has stories. Stories of him just sitting in a train. And just the anointing in him convicted people. Just the anointing of him walking by. Demons were manifested. How many times has that happened to you? It's happened to me. I've been in places where I've never been before. And just people look at me, growl at me, and walk away. I've, I've, I've had it happen. What did I do? I don't smell. I shower. I have good cologne, good deodorant. It's the anointing in you. The anointing is a tormenting force to the devil. The anointing is heaven's bully that harasses demons all around. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the supernatural power of God equipping you to do the supernatural assignment of God on the earth, which part of it is to cast out devils by the anointing, by the anointing. And then number three, how to properly cast out a devil. You have to use the name of Jesus. This is what I'm going to stop on today. You must use the name of Jesus. Jesus has a name that is above every other name. Every other name is subject to that name. Every other name must obey the commands given in that name. The Bible says in John 14, if you demand anything in my name, I'll enforce it from heaven. I'll give it to you. I'll do it for you. Jesus wasn't saying demanding things from God the Father. We don't demand anything from God. Jesus was speaking about demanding things of the devil. That there was going to be a task of going around and disarming and destroying devils in regions that used to, prior to that, have strongholds in those regions. Jesus said, but you have my name. You can go into that region. And if you'll demand from the devil, release over that region, over those people, over that individual. Jesus said, I will enforce that command with heaven's authority and with heaven's power. In my name, you will cast out devils. Acts 16, 16, give me, I'll give you an example of this. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit through fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. 
Greatly annoyed, Paul turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out. So you see here, it wasn't this long drawn out battle. I command you to come out. And he came out. Why? Remember, listen to this. Let me read this. Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of Sceva. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So it's not just having the name of Jesus. It's knowing what is in the name of Jesus and equally as important, being saved. Because these Jewish exorcists were not believers. But they took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits because they saw Paul's ministry. Paul was using the name of Jesus and demons were coming out of people. So these Jewish exorcists were trying something new. Well, let's just give it a try. It's working for him. Maybe it'll work for us. But they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Neither did they know anything about the power of the name of Jesus. But they tried it. It's like a, like a four-leaf clover, a rabbit's foot. Oh, let's just give it a whirl. Maybe we'll have good luck this time. But the Bible says, when they said, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, who did so also. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. So notice here. The demon spirit understood the power of the name of Jesus. We understand Jesus. We know his power. We know his rule over us. We know we can't talk back to Jesus. But then equally as important as they went on to say, and Paul, I know. But who are you? So when you are born again and understand the power that is in the name of Jesus, not only do demons subject or respect Jesus, the head of the church, but if you are part of the body and carry an understanding of your authority, the demon region, the demon leagues will actually put you in the same bracket as Jesus himself. Jesus, I know. We understand his name. We fear him. Paul, I know. We understand the name that he preaches and the name that he has come to know, and we fear him too. But you guys that are using that name unknowingly or ignorantly, we don't respect that command given from your mouth. And he leaped on them, prevailed against them, and overpowered them. Overpowered them. So it's not just about saying the name of Jesus over and over and over like you're a broken record. It's about understanding that the name of Jesus Christ was given to him by conquest. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public show of them openly. He triumphed over death, hell, the grave, Satan, and his kingdom. And by conquest and bestowal and inheritance, Jesus has obtained a name that is far above every other name. And then Jesus himself said, hey, don't be afraid that I'm going away. I'm giving you the legal right to use my name. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. We read it before. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even demons are subject to, you, to us. Didn't say subject to you. Subject to us in your name. You have the right to use the name of Jesus. You have the authority in the name of Jesus that no matter what, Demonic activity may be around you, no matter what person may come in your way. That may be a carrier of demons that doesn't know God, 
that's not born again, you have authority in that name to not keep them in prayer. You have authority in that name to cause that thing, to release that one who was created in the image of God, the one whom the Bible says God spared not his own son to obtain and redeem back into the house of God, into the flock of God. Hallelujah. You have the name. I want you to write that in the comment section as a final confession today. I have the name of Jesus. I have the name of Jesus. I have the legal right to use the name of Jesus. Jesus gave you full power of attorney. You know, essentially when you go, when there's someone that's demon possessed around you and you cast the demon out of them in the name of Jesus, this is what happened. The name of Jesus gives you the power of attorney. What's power of attorney? It's the right to stand in another person's stead. The right to stand on behalf as a representative as if that person himself were standing there with you. It's the right, it's the power of attorney. It's the right to operate as the one who sent you. It's the right to operate as the one who sent you. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Well, what did the Father send Jesus to do? Destroy the works of the devil. The power of attorney given to us in the name of Jesus gives us the right to stand in the same power, the same authority, and in the same office. Now, we are not Messiah, but we are the body of Christ on the earth, commissioned, commissioned with the same assignment that Jesus had. Proclaim, heal, deliver. The name of Jesus. I hope that today's broadcast simplified everything. That's what I wanted to do. Because I'm fed up. I'm fed up with all the excess. I'm fed up with all the, the complications in the modern deliverance movement. And, you know, in the 70s and the 60s, they had the rise of, of excess in deliverance come up uh, in those days. And then God raised up uh, faith teachers to teach people properly doctrine, not ex experience, doctrine, so as to bring calibration and balance in the body of Christ again. But now we're seeing in the last few years the same thing happen. And there's been much uh, excess and there's been much going beyond the boundaries of scriptures. I believe in deliverance. I believe in casting out devils. I cast out devils. We do it all everywhere we go. But I also believe in the biblical way of doing it. It's not only the most simple way of doing it, it's the only effective way of doing it. And I pray that this broadcast trained you, equipped you, enlightened you so that you're not going to be walking around in a cowering fear, feeling like you have to roll up your sleeves every time there's a demon. Oh, it's going to be a long day, brother. No. What did you say? You foul, unclean thing. Come out. Well, I'm not coming out. Jude says, do you want to join the angels that fell and are under chains of darkness? Do you want to join the ranks? you'll find that that scripture does it. That scripture does it. I've never cast the devil out of someone that took more than one minute. Never. And even a minute, that was like, that was like the long. That, that irritated. It ticked me off. You think I'm going to give you more? You think I'm going to give you time? You're not worth my time. You're not. You're not. 
The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of hell must bow out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, I appreciate every one of you that, uh, that have tuned in and are watching. And, and I believe that God's spoken to many of you and have helped many of you. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I thank you for a holy boldness that comes on your people, even now those that are watching live and on the replay. I thank you that they'll never be the same from today onward, that they will carry a superiority complex over all the regions of darkness, that everywhere they go, that just their presence, just their presence, would not only reveal any type of demonic activity or entity, but Father, that their presence and the power of the name in their mouth would bring deliverance to the people everywhere they go. Thank you, Lord, for raising up deliverers in these last days. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Great Commission. That that's what distinguishes us in all the earth as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we're not psychologists, psychiatrists, we're not counselors. We're carriers of your power to our generation. Use us in our, in your, in our generation. Use us to your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.